Hey everybody, welcome back to Ramblin' Writers, episode four. We're calling this one, it's Annie's World and we just live in it. I'm Brian Castle, founder, CEO, Supremo of Park Life Communications, and I'm joined by my uh, longtime friend, Suzette Feller, and one of my newest friends, Annie Estrakis. Good morning, ladies. Good morning, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> did y'all did y'all time the in unison response? Uh, that was great. <laughs> no, we're just that in sync. <laughs> so, I'd like to uh, first talk about Annie joining us, uh, and you'll hear a little bit more from her later uh, on her favorite topic right now, which is social media. She recently wrote a great piece offering our clients and business owners at large some good tips for managing their social media and making it more engaging. Um, Suzette, I know a little bit about Annie. I know she went to North Carolina State University, graduated with a business and marketing degree uh, a few years ago, and worked for a while as director of marketing at a law firm in Raleigh, North Carolina. And then she came to our island of Misfit Toys about 45 days ago. And we've never been the same since. What else would you like to tell us about your friend, Annie? Well, the thing that really stands out about Annie to me is that she has a very positive attitude all the time. She's extremely good-natured. People always say that when they meet her because she really truly doesn't have a mean bone in her body. I mean, she's a very sweet, lovely person. And um, as an added bonus, she's damn good at marketing and social media. And it's been really cool to see that more and more over the past month and a half or so, um, because she's a really talented writer and also a talented graphic designer. Um, but yeah, she's just, you know, solid person, solid marketing pro. I'm so glad that we have her on our team now. Yeah, I am too. And, and why don't we just keep filibustering and not let her in the conversation for just a minute? <laughs> I've uh, I've already gotten some pretty incredible feedback uh, on Annie's work, um, probably better than I've gotten on anybody's this early. Um, she's already made a huge impact, uh, increasing the 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 quality of our social media work. She's already taken on work for our clients who aren't difficult themselves, but the subject matter of the industries where they work uh, is highly technical uh, and on its face, very dry and not welcoming. And she has found a way to keep the highly technical, almost academic nature of some of these industries but make them um, very engaging and uh, something that humans would actually read. So I, I think that's a wonderful testament to her work right out of the gate. She, um, she's fearless, and uh, our clients are just now getting to know 
that sweet side, uh, which I don't think we should ever discount. Um, I've been part of several companies where people who contributed a lot to the company ultimately got fired because they were jerks. Um, and y'all know we don't have any place for that here. Um, we will always err to the side of being too good natured if it means taking care of our clients. And so maybe we should let you talk, Annie. You've got a nice voice. Um, <laughs> why don't you share with our audience what, you're, what you've been working on, the kind of work you've been doing so far, and then you've got a pet project you've been working on. I'd love it if you tease that. And then we'll go into talking about your recent article where you gave some great tips on social media for small and mid-sized business. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. Well, first of all, let me just say thank you guys so much. I'm going to go cry after we finish recording this. So thank you very <laughs> much for making me useless for the rest of the day because now I'm just too happy. So what I've been working on so far is I've been doing a lot of the social media for um, a lot of different clients. I've been trying to get kind of like the the groundwork done for figuring out um, everybody's different personalities and um, like each client's needs. Um, so I've just been trying to um, learn everybody's uh, kind of like their tones that they want, kind of the images that they prefer, that type of thing. I've also been doing some um, blogs, kind of getting us up and running for doing live streams. So on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, that kind of thing. What is that? Live streaming. What is that? Uh, so live streams, I don't know if you guys have seen like uh, just influencers and things on social media do these things, but it's basically just a live video. Um, where you're talking and you can add in some graphics. Um, a lot of companies will just do really simple ones with like no graphics, but we definitely want to do more of the um, production side of this. Um, we want to add in like logos and photos. Um, so it's basically just like a live video that you can't edit. I think just based on some things I'm seeing in the marketplace, uh, even uh, with some other agencies I admire, um, I think this might be the next big thing. Um, it's been interesting to see, you know, over the last 10 or 15 years since online marketing really became a thing and a big thing and became democratized to even solo entrepreneur businesses. You know, first we kind of got away from static websites they almost look like brochures you know until about 10 or 12 years ago about the time i left finance and got into marketing was right around the time my talents could be leveraged as a writer that's where everything started exploding first with dynamic websites that you could actually change on a daily basis you could always be adding new products new services you could blog that became a big thing. And then, of course, between, you know, seven to nine years ago, the different social platforms, uh, you know, Facebook started out as basically a online yearbook for Harvard people. And it became a little interactive and then exploded into even your mom had Facebook. And then, of course, it went into the business world. Uh, and that hasn't even been going on really for 10 years yet. It's shocking, actually, how short an amount of time that is. Um, 
but then came video um, and then podcasting as you know we're doing right now I don't want to call it a resurgence but it's kind of a new surge of activity it's been around probably 15 to 20 years but it's really surging right now and then this live streaming you're talking about I think your work and your ability your your ability to cross over between the written and spoken word which is speaks to your ability to script put words in people's mouths to cue people but also your ability to think graphically and to think about holistically what a viewer is going to see on the screen. I think you're the right person at the right time for this. And so I'm very proud to have you working on that. We're going to be doing our first one for a client. Are we going to be simulcasting on uh, YouTube and Facebook for that, Annie? Yes, I believe we will be um, doing it on um, YouTube and Facebook. So that'll be um, an adventure. I was even um, taking a brief look last night at the software we acquired to be able to do that. Um, as you know, anybody can just turn on Facebook, turn on the live button and go live on Facebook. That doesn't have a lot of production value like the things we're talking about, being able to add graphics and visual aids uh, or even have your brand very prominent on the screen. Uh, but it looks like on that uh, software dashboard you're going to be using, you're going to be able to help the clients engage with the public, with their target audiences, because the comment threads are going to come through on a single feed for you, which I thought was really cool. I had asked you the other day to take a look at that, and I ended up, seeing it last night. So I was kind of excited about that. It'll be really nice to have um, a bunch of visuals that people can use because especially um, like the comments, we can answer questions as they come in. I think that'll mean a lot more engagement. So Andy, now that you've kind of given an overview about the work that you've been doing at Park Life, do you want to just talk a little bit about yourself and, and kind of your background? Um, I love traveling. I'm actually um, planning a move to um, Prague, so in the Czech Republic. So we're going to do a ton of traveling once stuff opens back up after COVID. Um, and I have a puppy. I guess he's not really a puppy. He's actually three years old, but he's very cute. So we call him a puppy still. His name is Ren, and he's a black lab. Uh, so I've lived in North Carolina my whole life. I was born in Wilmington, um, but then I've lived in Durham for, I think I've lived there since I was three so that's definitely my hometown. That's where I met Suzette, actually. So we met in um, kindergarten, I think. So it's been a while. I think that's wild that you guys met in kindergarten. I, I, um, I will tell you, my wife, Jeanette, the wizard behind the curtain at Park Life, um, she actually met her best friend in kindergarten, too. And I, I love seeing that amazing level of deep friendship over time. So maybe at some point we'll do a friendship episode. I want to talk about your groundbreaking post on Park Life Insights. For those of you playing at home, go to our website, parklifecom.com, and hit Insights to hear our hopefully intelligent thoughts on a variety of subjects. Um, our blog features all of our, all of us participate in it. So maybe I'll start with a with a question. 
Um, you started off with the, with the piece um, talking about the importance of keeping your post uh, relatable and down to earth. Talk to us a little bit about that. I have a feeling that a lot of um, industries kind of think their social media needs to be a little bit more stuffy and like overly formal. Um, I actually worked for a law firm. And um, when I first started, they kind of had the idea that um, social posts needed to just be informative. They didn't really need to have any personality or um, they didn't really need to seem down to earth at all. But it's actually really important to make all of your social posts something that somebody would actually want to read and engage with. Um, somebody isn't going to want to read something that's really boring and like just facts. They're going to want to read something that um, actually has a little bit of personality. And that's something that they'll actually want to go ahead and like and share. So I think it's really important to use like normal language, not like huge, big words, just to sound smart. Um, I also really love using emojis. I mean, a picture equals a thousand words, in my opinion. And um, emojis really can communicate emotions when you really only have a certain number of characters. So I think that's really important to making your social media posts um, a little bit more down to earth and um, more impactful. What would you say to a business that wants to add a little more personality into their social media, but they're maybe a little hesitant about something like emojis? They feel like they couldn't pull that off because it's kind of like fun and cutesy? Well, that's a very good question. Um, so I'd say for those, um, I think that every company has the ability to um, do these like more cutesy things like with emojis, but I think it requires um, kind of adapting your social posts over time. So I'd say um, starting out with maybe like adding exclamation points when you would have just added a period. I think that can make a huge difference in um, the amount of like fun it brings to the post. Um, you could also um, use different hashtags. Um, I think hashtags are, they're kind of like emojis, but just words. So I think they're not as impactful as an emoji. And I would definitely rather use an emoji than a hashtag to communicate emotions or something like that. But um, you could start out by using those and kind of transition your social posts into something more youthful and a little bit more fun. Through your emojis, as well as through your writing, you bring a really fresh, energetic voice to social media. And I think that can be a real challenge to a lot of people. And it's something that Brian and I definitely appreciate because he and I have struggled with that in the past, with bringing the right amount of energy to social posts. So I'm wondering where you find that in yourself. Is it just because you're so passionate about doing social or is there some other sort of process that you follow to find that energetic voice that you use? Um, I'd probably say um, just overall my my tone when I'm writing and just talking is really positive and just kind of like energetic. But um, I think one thing that some people can do to kind of up their energy in their writing is if um, you start out just using, um, if you figure out what you want the um, viewer of the post to do. So if you want them to like the post or go to a website or um, follow the link to some article, you can start out with your call to action and then kind of work backwards. So I always start out with thinking, I want them to like this or I want them to share this. And then I think, um, how can I get them excited about this? How can I make them um, passionate enough about this post 
to actually click the link or hit the like button or something. So I think kind of working backwards from what you want them to do is really helpful and kind of finding that energy. That is really helpful. And that's actually been a tip that I've used several times since you first published that article. Um, it's, it is really helpful when you are kind of having writer's block with social media, starting with the call to action just helps everything else fall into place. And that's one thing I love about this article is that, you know, a lot of these tips for blah, blah, blah articles can be quite fluffy and things that you wouldn't really use in your everyday life. But this one is so practical and it really has helped me and I've been able to apply it um, when I'm writing social. So I thought that was really cool. Ramblin' Writers is brought to you by Parklife Communications. From social media to branding to podcasting, we provide a wide range of marketing services to clients across the country. To learn more about all that we do, visit parklifecom.com. Now that we're done talking about how smart Annie is, even though we could do that all day, let's transition to a subject where... Our Suzette has been in constant flex mode now for months. Um, We've been getting a lot more work um, on the branding uh, side of our business. Um, We've been around for over 10 years, and most of that time, people thought of us as copywriters or social media people. And we've had the opportunity over the last year to work on websites, logos, uh, helping uh, clients with their color palettes, things like that. And that that's, that's all down to, uh, Suzette's work. And, and like I said, she's been in constant flex mode, uh, doing some really great work, uh, um, especially over the last couple months. Um, she's taken some big leaps forward and I think that's important. Uh, let me digress for one more minute. I think that's so important, no matter where you are professionally, if you're just getting started out or if you've been in the game a little bit like I have, um, you got to up your game. You know, nobody cares what you did yesterday or or if they see that and love it, you got to replicate it for them, you know, and, and, and do great work for them. So kudos to you, Suzette. You've, you've, uh, like me, you can look back at some of your first work now and go, oh, I want to pat her on the head and tell her how much better it's going to get. Um, so, Annie, why don't you talk to Suzette a little bit about um, building brands of color? So I'm really curious about um, where you start the process of choosing a brand's color. So when you meet with a client and they kind of like tell you um, the direction that they're wanting to take it in, what is your process for selecting one and kind of building um, their brand's tone through color? Well, we typically involve the client on that to some degree. Often clients will come to us with a favorite color or a preferred color scheme, and we might use that as a starting point. Um, There are also times when clients come to us and they just have no idea where to start. And and then it becomes my responsibility to choose the main color and the color scheme. And in those cases, and even if a client has um, 
some kind of color palette that they're starting out with, I'll sort of advise them and guide them based on what different colors represent and what feelings they evoke. And that's why I wrote this article is because I think that all colors have a deeper meaning than most people probably realize. And those deeper meanings become really important when you're doing branding because you would not believe the real emotional response that different colors can evoke. Uh, So when it comes to choosing secondary colors, so not like the main brand color, but a secondary color that you just want to use in um, different like little highlighted areas, um, how do you go about choosing that? Is it like you kind of look at the color wheel and decide something that corresponds or is it more like you're still thinking about the emotion that it evokes? There are definitely some classic pairings when it comes to color. Um, There are certain color combinations that are timeless and that always look good together. And I do rely on those a lot on just kind of the classic pairings like um, navy blue and yellow or red and orange. Um, But at the same time, I also think it's important to step out of that a little bit and try new combinations that haven't been seen as much before. And like, I think back to this marketing book that I had to read in college called Hey Whipple Squeeze This. And it's kind of like a classic text for young marketing students. And one of the things I love about that book, that book is that it presents all of these guidelines, these rules to follow in marketing based on years of experience and looking at different classic campaigns and things like that. And then in the very last chapter, it basically says, and the last rule is forget all the rules. (laughs) Um, And the point is that, you know, while these guidelines exist for a reason and they kind of help nudge us in the right direction, it's important that we never get too confined by them and that we still push the boundaries and get creative with it. And so that's kind of what I do with color is I do have some guidelines that I follow, but I also don't shy away from trying new things and being kind of ambitious and experimental with my color combos. Um, I I wouldn't say that there's any, there's nothing off limits when it comes to color. It's, it's one of these arenas where it's really fun to experiment and you can just stumble upon the most beautiful combinations unexpectedly. So it's really a matter of experimentation more than anything, I would say. I like, I like where you're coming from on that. Um, kind of goes back to one of those universal truths. You realize the more you do different things in your life and work, um, you know, rules aren't why we exist. You know, we exist to create and love and all those other fun things. Rules just kind of help us, not all crash into each other uh, in the things we're doing. And uh, in, a, in a smaller sense, they can help actually spur that creativity. Like I actually think what you're doing right now, Suzette, with coming up with these palettes, I almost think it's harder to come up with that right combination, uh, you know, because there are those classic combos. It's hard to come up with something when a client wants something rather original that they really feel in their heart when they look at it to not do something, to not just give them a traditional pairing, but be willing to explore. Would you agree with all of that? 
or dispute some. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I think that, you know, not to get too crunchy here, <laughs> there is some element of kind of reading a client's aura. I feel like everybody sort of in my mind, um, is surrounded by different colors that speak to who they are. And I'm, I don't mean that in a literal sense. Like I'm, I'm not an aura reader. I don't look at people and actually see the color of their aura, but just kind of in a more abstract sense, different clients definitely, um, convey different colors to me. All colors have some emotions that are sort of universal, meaning they evoke the same emotion in everybody, like blue being a calming color. But other colors can evoke completely different emotions in different people. And for me, when I think of red, orange, and yellow, I always think back to this moment when I was visiting Scotland with my dad. And we climbed to the top. Well, we hiked. It's not actually a climb. We hiked to the top of Holyrood Mountain in Edinburgh. And we made it to the summit, which is called Arthur's Seat. And there's this big rock where people stand on to get this beautiful view of the city. Um, and it was like something out of a movie because when I made it to the top, the first thing I saw was these three Buddhist monks up there and they had on the most beautiful, vibrant red and orange robes. And so for me, whenever I think of red, orange and yellow, that is the moment that I think of. And it was like just this overwhelming feeling of peace and calmness and beauty. Like I was so taken by seeing them in that moment um, in such a beautiful landscape. And so as I was speaking to this client, um, I sort of got the sense that, that a big part of her business is trying to create that feeling of calmness and serenity within people. And so I would say that my own personal connotations with those colors was a big source of inspiration for that. Um, and also those colors sort of spoke to, what I saw in this client. So I think as a designer, you always find your inspiration um, sort of in a combination of what energy you get from the client and also what you bring to the table yourself. Yeah. Well, th this is a kind of underlying attitude and approach. And then the, 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 the outputs are obviously indicative uh, and validating of why you want to approach your work this way as a creative. So a couple months ago, we put together a thought leadership guide, which you can download for free under our insights tab on our website. And we've also been releasing different pieces of it on our blog over the last couple months. And the most recent one is called keeping it real as a thought leader. And I would argue that this one is maybe the most important one of all. What would you say, Brian? Yeah, yeah. We almost uh, ended with the beginning in mind uh, with this little series. Um, most things in life, you begin with the end in mind. Um, the reason this is the opposite, you know, when I was thinking about this as I was putting it together, I think it's so important to come at people on a real human level, like we were talking about with the uh, uh, 
um, relating better on social media, like we're talking about with color, um, you know, kind of finding our humanity a bit. And the people who really have something meaningful to say that can help people, help, uh, help like-minded people connect with them, and then ultimately generate better relationships with clients that they align with, um, uh, with their values. Those people are often reluctant to do things that they see tooting their horn. And so what I think is important with thought leadership, and especially as we are, I see, I see park life as part of a uh, larger movement. And that is, Again, going back to the word democratizing, where we can take a space like thought leadership that maybe 10, 15 years ago was only limited to healthcare and technology, um, where you were only hearing from like a guy like Dr. Fauci or Bill Gates or Steve Jobs, um, helping democratize that across lots of different professional pursuits. And even more importantly, down to the world of small and mid-sized business. Um, so we're part of that. And I think it's important because you see a lot of this in social media. Um, you see a lot of this in the world of uh, video and, and print blog articles, things like that. You see a lot of imposters. Um, and I think that's the, the one way you can sabotage your efforts to be a thought leader uh, as a small or mid-sized business leader is to not stay in your lane. Uh, I'm always happy to tell people there's plenty of things to talk about in your lane that will showcase your expertise, your approach. Um, There are very few of us that actually try to copy how other people do business. You know, I don't, I know lots of people that own agencies. I don't try to run this and approach our creative work like any of those people because I don't try to live my life like other people do. I try to be the best Brian (laughs) I can be. And so I want this to be the best park life that it can be. I don't want it to, oh yeah, they're just like so-and-so agency. And these can be others that I admire. And the same thing, that same ethos should extend to whatever you're doing uh, in your field. When it comes to being authentic, like that is definitely the most important thing when it comes to thought leadership. Um, But is there, do you have any tips for trying to channel like your true feelings? Like I have a feeling some people out there um, kind of feel like they need to put on a mask and seem a little bit more informed than they are. Do you have any tips for kind of coming at it from like a really humble position, something down to earth? That's a, great thing to think about. So in our relationship with clients, and this helps when you have somebody helping you with your thought leadership work, like a ghostwriter or somebody like you helping with our social media, because the nature of that relationship is we can't do the work without you sharing your unique approach to what you do, your expertise, you know, there's a lot of stuff in a lot of places we work in where we can go out and see what other companies in the space 
are putting out and never even involve our business owners, then they would look just like those other companies, as I was saying. So in order to stay authentic, you do just have to kind of stick to what you know. Um, And it is okay. I I need to make this point. It is okay to curate a bit. Um, I've got some clients. In fact, I can think of, gosh, half a dozen who are, are, are rather rabid readers. They, they take in, these folks all read dozens of books every year. Um, they're constantly seeking out to see what other leaders are doing. But even when you're pulling what, what boring people call best practices or, or, or things you admire out of other people, and then when you're putting that all together, it is different. Now, you need to attribute where you got things from um, because that's that's another way of being authentic. Like, I didn't think of this first, but it's something I've integrated in my approach that I think is very important. Like, that's okay. You're not impinging on that other person's thought leadership. Um, It's almost like in the medical world where a great doctor – will often cite the work of another great doctor. Um, and so it's, a, it's almost a two-way street of thought leadership. So the way to sort of stick to your knitting is talk about the beefy, the meat, the heart of the matter, and then let us package it for you um, in ways that attribute where that's necessary. And then I also think it's so hard for us as humans, the ones of us who are not assholes, and I don't think most of us are, it's hard for us to talk about what we do directly without seeming like we're bragging. But I do think that's part of the art of what we provide is being able to do that and just kind of showing your work instead of just talking about it uh, is so important for people. Thanks so much for tuning into another episode of Ramblin' Writers. In our next episode, we're taking a break from our regular programming to highlight something that's super important in light of how far our society has come and how far it needs to go in promoting racial equity and justice in Durham, North Carolina. We've got a couple of very special guests joining us, and we can't wait for you to hear from them. Until then, stay healthy and be sure to subscribe to Ramblin' Writers on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.